Welcome to Remain. We're Arn and Trina. This one is for the weary, those still in the middle of their story of marriage, ministry, or chronic illness. This is a call to remain. So, in about a half an hour, we should check the oven to see if it's ready. Yes, yes, we should. Why? What's in the oven? Deliciousness. Why? Because we are stress baking. Why are we stress baking? Why are we stress baking? <laughs> That's a good question. Not like your toddler has sleep regression. Yeah. Oh, wait. He does. But, like, not a normal amount of it. It's kind of no. like insane sleep regression at this point. So, those it's, who've it's had been rough. children around the age of two know what we're talking about. <laughs> and those who, let's say, are married and have a baby who is not two yet. Oh, <laughs> you have lots of happy, fun, beautiful things to look forward to. We're, I think we're being... we were spoiled also because we had our older child slept through like earthquakes, everything, like everything. And he loved to sleep and he slept all the time. Well, not slept all the time, but he slept a lot and he napped a lot. And so now we've kind this of this one's got... a bit different. Yeah. So I think we were spoiled and we're learning. We're that, tired. That different is not bad it's just different i think being woken up at 4 a.m should be like wrong in every culture every country yeah. at any point in history so we're just tired but what the deliciousness in the oven is it's a banana bread that is also vegan and gluten-free and made with buckwheat flour and that might sound like cardboard but it is probably the best banana bread I have ever tasted. And I have given this banana bread to people who are not gluten-free and not vegan. And they have been in love with it. So if you want an amazing, healthy, it has actually no eggs in it either. Well, obviously, because it's vegan. If you want a healthy banana bread recipe, uh, hit me up and I'll share it with you. Yeah, the banana bread might have no eggs. But what we're talking about today is very exciting. Not really. It's a very sad topic, but I'm speaking <laughs> with say. happiness because I know that when we're done, there's banana bread waiting for us. And I hope that in life, there's always a banana bread for you somewhere. It's more of a metaphor. I think also the topic we're talking about today, it might be quite sad in one sense. But I think as you will hopefully realize with us, as we did, especially Aaron, Aaron's kind of more into this topic than I've been, um, but even myself. So I think as you listen to this, I hope this ends very hopefully for you and joyfully for you, despite kind of the sadness that there is in this topic. So we want to start by reading just a couple stanzas of a hymn, just to give you a glimpse of this one song that we've listened to on repeat um, for a while now. And then we want to tell you the kind of the story of this person's life and what they went through. And then you'll see why we are bringing this up on our Remain podcast. Mm -hmm. So here we go. Just two stanzas for you. God moves in a mysterious way, his wonders to perform. He plants his footsteps in the sea and rides upon the storm. Deep in unsearchable minds of never failing skill. He treasures up his bright designs and works his sovereign will. So, Trina, who's the author? 
It's William Koopa. It is spelt C-O-W-P-E-R, but it's pronounced Koopa. And he is an extremely well-known um, poet of his time. Um, and he was born in Hertfordshire in England. Do you know when he was born? Because now I can't remember. Um, 1731. Wow. A while ago, let's just say. Yeah. <laughs> Quite a while ago. But he's a guy who went through a lot. A lot. Like? And yet, And yet what he wrote uh, in poetry and in him is probably quite mind-blowing in a number of ways. So you might hear these two stanzas I had read and maybe you think this is a, I don't know, a happy-go-lucky, overall healthy person who would have written something like this. But that the truth could be is, is far, far different than what you might be assuming. So in a nutshell, do you want to tell us a few things about this man's life and then we'll get to some biographical stuff? Yeah, so this is kind of going to be more like a biographical type um, podcast. We're looking we... at some people who remained well. I mean, we might do more episodes, but this is just the first one. Yes, the first one of these. And William Cooper is our subject because he has... His life, his testimony has kind of really struck us and stayed with us. Um, and the reason why I can read you this, um, this was actually written in the um, American Journal of Psychiatry. So this quote is from there in 1858. So 120 years after this guy was born. Um, and this is what it says. Um, in the entire context of mental disease, there is no case so widely known or which has excited so deep an interest as the insanity of William Cooper. Nor can we wonder at this. As a poet, he is known to all who speak the English tongue. So I just said that there, and that wasn't a typo. The insanity of William Cooper. Why the okay. insanity? So this man had some serious mental health and emotional health issues. Mm -hmm. So you're saying that he battled what? Depression? He battled severe depression. Okay. He was suicidal. Um, he attempted suicide many times. Okay, if I can interrupt for a sec. What good is it for those in hard seasons of life that we're trying to reach to for them to hear the story of a man who was so depressed he was suicidal? Like, how can this mm. be helpful? Yeah. So... I was going to share a couple of different quotes. Um, there's a book, and if you enjoy kind of reading, especially uh, something to do with mental health and Christianity, there's an excellent book that I read a few years back. And I don't finish a lot of books that I begin if they're nonfiction, but I finished this book. So it's called Genius, Grief, and Grace. And it is like a biographical look at a number of different um, Christians who are pretty well known. It is by... Um, Gaius Davies or Gaius Davies I don't know how you say that um, Gaius Davies wrote Genius, Grief and Grace and it's a book looking at a number of different Christians with uh, different kinds of mental health struggles and kind of the good that came out of that um, the way that their story was able to still um, reach other people um, so he's a doctor Dr. Gaius Davies and he is looking at suffering and success um, so, and a lot of it focuses on pain, but especially also mental health. So, um, he said this, it is a very consoling fact that so many books about real lives 
give one such an impression of happiness in spite of all the tragedies they contain. What can be more tragic than the main outline of Cooper's life? But as soon as you open the letter, the letters he wrote and see what relish he got out of it, you almost begin to envy him. Hmm. So kind of he's talking about his life and what he wrote, what William Cooper himself wrote to his friends, um, to acquaintances, and is talking about you almost, in spite of what he's been through in his life, in spite of his pain, you start to uh, envy this guy. And another one that I want to share is Piper, John Piper, who I love. Um, he said this. He actually did a whole biographical kind of, he preached and like spoke through about uh, Cooper's life at his church. And um, at the end of doing that, this is what he said. The first version of this lecture was given in an evening service at Bethlehem Baptist Church. It proved to be one of the most encouraging things, one of the most encouraging things I have done in a long time. This bleak life was felt by many as hope giving. The lesson is surely that those of us who teach and preach and want to encourage our people to press on in hope and faith must not limit ourselves to success stories. And I think that kind of pounds the, um, is the like hammer pounding the nail on the so head. So we're drawn to success stories. Mm-hmm. We, we're drawn to successful Christian testimonies. If we, um, you know, hear of someone who did <clears throat> something amazing and, and so-called successful, you know, we assume that there's going to be a book written about them, maybe a Christian movie on their life. We're, we're drawn to that. But here's a man who had, from I think what we've kind of read together, I don't know of others who've had this kind of dark, Mm -hmm. lifelong depression. And yet he says this was Mm -hmm. hope-giving. I think we'll come back to that. Yeah. So um, do you want to kind of start sharing a little bit more about Cooper's life? Sure. And then we can make some more comments and and then we can read uh, the rest of that song. So... Uh, 1731, born in England. Now note, he lived around the same time as George uh, Whitfield and John Wesley, uh, who were leaders in the evangel in the uh, revival in the evangelical revival in England. Now, um, what stands out to me? Here are people like George and John who did incredible, great work. Uh, who were leaders, who I have studied and taught through in my church history course. And yet, on the flip side, there is a man who lived a broken life like Cooper. And I think that's encouraging to us in that God uses different people differently. Mm-hmm. Uh, how wonderful that there are John Wesley's and at the same time, William Cooper's. And it does not mean in any way that one's life was fruitful and successful and one's life was not in any way. As members of the body of Christ, each part of the body is incredibly valuable and significant. Their roles might be different, but they add something incredibly important for the good of the rest of the church. So we're grateful for leaders of the revival, but we're also grateful for people like Cooper. You'll, you'll see why. So... Um, after his parents had gotten married, uh, three other children uh, were born uh, and died during that time. 
1731 after that in the next five years two more children died uh, a few days later his mom died when william was six he had a very unhealthy relationship with his father who quickly sent him to boarding school so after losing his mother at the age of six his whole sense of security was completely uh shattered um this completely broke him he his life was one long accumulation of pain uh when it comes to his depression he had four major battles and several attempts of suicide and you can read more about it it's very interesting of how his attempts failed and he survived so first depression was 1752 the next attack was 1763 right okay about 10 years apart next was 1773 and then 1786 so you see they're about 10 years apart and over time it's only getting worse after his second attack of depression though he was in the insane asylum the saint albans insane asylum 1764 so he's he's still a young person um, a young person who's a very broken person and another thing to note is when his father had placed him in boarding school he had a very rough time so aside from losing his mother which they say especially in young childhood up to the age of 10 when someone loses um, a significant family member especially like a mother or a father they are more apt to have different kinds of um, mental health issues it sets you up for being um, possibly having more mental health issues already and then on top of that at a very young age being placed into a boarding school where he was apparently a very shy and timid child and he was continuously harassed and mm. um, teased and bullied and beaten up um, by older students, boys who were older than him. And that um, kind of had a very deep impact on his mental health. And he kind of has spoken about that and shared about that with um, other friends he had as he grew up. So I think kind of the way in which his childhood played out really set him up for pain uh, further down the line. And I think, again, that just speaks so much to like how important it is on a side note to teach our kids kindness, like how important mm. it is to teach our kids that we do not treat other people like that, regardless of who they are. They are all created in the image of God. Yeah. So he was about 33 years old. He's in the insane asylum. He finds a Bible on a garden bench and picks it up and starts reading. John 11, the story of the resurrection of Lazarus, as well as Romans 3, were very significant passages that, um, that God used to bring him to salvation. Here's just a quick quote. Um, Immediately I received the strength to believe it, and the full beams of the Son of Righteousness shone upon me. I saw the sufficiency of the atonement he had made. My pardon... Uh, sealed in his blood and all the fullness and completeness of his justification in a moment i believed and received the gospel now i told you that he experienced this conversion right after his second attack um, of depression okay keep in mind though i said that every 10 years he had another massive and even worse attack of depression so it means that 10 years after his conversion, right, and 20 years after that, his depression continued and it only got worse. When a person becomes saved, it doesn't mean 
all their anxieties and fears are quickly resolved. Mm-hmm. Here is um, a great quote again by Gaius Davies, the author of Genius, Grief and Grace. And he's talking about Cooper and how Cooper never saw healing from mental illness this side of heaven. And this is the quote. And it's just, yeah, it, it just really gets me. In a special sense, he shows what grace can do to a man's personality and also what it sometimes appears not to be able to do. His experience points to a need for an honest explanation of non-healing and the suffering that can go on and on. Okay. So a Christian can experience non-healing non-healing and we see from <laughs> his life thing, folks and we see in his in his life and in his writings that especially towards the end he had a complete downwards spiral uh seasons of despondency he became more and more consumed with his thoughts of guilt despair and judgment so he was saved and yet he had a lifelong depression and various suicide attempts now here is some good news Hmm. Uh, a few years after his conversion, he moved to a different area and lived with the Unwin family. Um, this was um, a widow, lo- recently had lost her husband um, and some uh, a few children. And William lived with the Unwin, Mary Unwin, and the kids for the next 30 years. Just kind of became a friend with them and just kind of did life with them. Uh, John Newton comes into the picture. John found out that there is a family, a widow, a young family who needed pastoral care. And John came to visit uh, Mary Unwin, the widow, and then met William Cooper uh, in, at the same time. And in the coming years, John Newton, a pastor, became a close friend, counselor, and pastor. He says, a sincere or more affectional friend no man ever had. So he became a dear friend to him. The faithfulness of such pastoral ministry, especially to those in broken seasons, maybe long-term broken seasons of pain, in this case, anxiety, depression, is incredibly significant. Mm -hmm. Now, what if John gave up? What if he said, you know what? This guy is too depressing. Let me go find someone easier to deal with so I can have my successful ministry. Which honestly, he probably was. Um, very difficult to be oh, around. At very times. difficult. Yeah. But he continued in his friendship. And at some point, John had the idea of writing a hymnal together because he knew of William's writing ability. And I'm sure he realized that writing poetry and writing hymns would be good for William's so, health. Mm-hmm. So Newton ended up writing 208 hymns and Cooper wrote 68. And they published that um just a few years i think before his death so one of the songs that william wrote was called god moves in a mysterious ways and i'll read more of it later but maybe you you've heard of another one there's a fountain filled with blood uh which is well known and we sing it in church we just didn't know that it was written by a man facing uh incredible um suffering suffering and so john at some point left and did ministry in london and yet cared for him, I think, for a, a few dozen years. They would exchange letters, and they became very close friends. He suffered with him. He 
pastored him. He counseled him. He loved him. Um, at the end of that John Piper biographical sketch, here was just one quote. He says, May the Lord raise up many John Newtons for us, for the joy of our churches and for the survival of the William Coopers around us. Mm. We have good reason to hope that if we nourish the love and patience of John Newton in our church at the sufficiency of Jesus' atonement, the William Coopers among us will not be given over to the enemy in the end. So his prayer and, and our kind of prayer and hope is that there would be more and more John Newtons who consistently and faithfully care for those who face really hard seasons, in this case of depression. Um, and those who are like William Cooper, um, this is good news in that there is hope, uh, ultimately in the gospel, but also um, God is able to provide such friends to walk in seasons of hardship with you. Mm. Um, let me read just one or two more quotes. Um, this is in his more difficult seasons. William says, My nocturnal experiences are all of the most terrible kind. Death, churchyards and carcasses and, all, and or else thunderstorms and lightnings. God angry and myself wishing I had never been born. Such are my dreams, and when I wake, it is only to hear something terrible. Who can hope for peace amidst such trouble? I cannot. I live a life of terror. My prospects respecting this life, as well as any other, seems all intercepted. So him saying that he wishes that his life was never was, uh, reminds us of Job in his lament of chapter 3. Also, in his deep agony, was also wishing that he was never born. Uh, here's just one more. This was before he became a, a Christian, age of 21. Okay, this is a, imagine a young college student. Last quote. I was struck with such a deje de dejection of spirits as none but they who have felt the same can have the least conception of. Day and night, I was upon the rack, lying down in horror and rising up in despair. I presently lost all relish for those studies to which before I had been closely attached. The classics had no longer any charms for me. I had need of something more salutary than amusement, but I had not one to direct me where to find it. Mm. And yet, and yet, and yet, he writes like that, but he also writes poetry. And a lot of the poetry he wrote. Um, it kind of talks about the hopelessness of his depression. So I want to read one of those, one excerpt of that. Um, no voice divine, the storm allayed. No light propitious shone. When snatched from all effectual aid, we perished each alone. But I beneath a rougher sea and whelmed in deeper gulfs than he. Hmm. Like it's such dark kind of... Um, depression that he's capturing in that and then at the same time there's a lot where he's talking in his poetry about the lord and the lord's intervention kind of in the midst of what he's facing and so i want to read this too and this is written near the end of his life and it was a time when he had actually he was so unwell um, and so unstable he had kind of stopped attending church for a long season as well before he died and um i'm going to read this 
I was a stricken deer that left the herd long since with many an arrow deep infixed. There was I found by one who had himself been hurt by the archers. In his side he bore and in his hands and feet the cruel scars. With gentle force soliciting the darts, he drew them forth and healed and bade me live. I think that's such a beautiful kind of depiction of him seeing Jesus, the suffering Jesus, and yet the healing Jesus at the same time. Like Jesus who was on the cross and yet Jesus who's victorious um, coming to him in his hour of need. And that really encouraged my heart too. So um, did you want to finish off with the... Um, song again yes because this song has um really ministered to our hearts i would say the last five six years it has been um a song we've gone back to especially Aaron. like i said Aaron has kind of studied more about cooper's life than i have but um it's a song he's kind of returned to and the words of it have just i think i would say they've like almost like carried us at times yeah yeah, when when it comes to yeah hymns like this, this might be uh, one of our favorites. So we want to end today's episode with just reading this hymn. God moves in a mysterious way, His wonders to perform. He plans His footsteps in the sea and rides upon the storm. Deep in unsearchable minds of never failing skill. He treasures up his bright designs and works his sovereign will. And ye fearful saints, fresh courage take. The clouds you so much dread are big with mercy and shall break in blessings, yeah, in blessings on your head. Judge not the Lord by feeble sense, but trust him for his grace. Behind a frowning providence, he hides a smiling face. His purposes will ripen fast, unfolding every hour. The bud may have a bitter taste, but sweet will be the flower. And ye fearful saints, fresh courage take. The clouds you so much dread are big with mercy and shall break in blessings on your head.